This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The yeah. fact that back to back we saw two seismic results. We saw two bonkers games of football which seem to defy the normal laws under which mm. we understand the game. And oh, yeah. it not only seemed to just defy expectation. And, and for me, the second game was really the one that, that did all the defying. I mean, the fact that Tottenham beat Manchester United, not a shock. The fact they beat them 6-1, yes, that's starting to look a little bit shocking. But United have, for some time, had the ability to capitulate in there. I think what we really are just blown away by was the fact that after losing 6-1 to Tottenham, Liverpool went ahead yeah. and lost 7-2 to Aston Villa. And it begs the question, why is this happening? It begs the question as to whether this new normal that football exists in, this bubble, this hermetified, you know, hermetically sealed world that football now exists in, has turned the game on its head. Yeah, it has. There's no doubt about that. Again, you can't really put your finger on it. Of course, taking nothing away from Spurs, and, and I thought that was a true Jose Mourinho performance from Tottenham Hotspur. To a man, they were excellent. They really were. And obviously, Man United being reduced to 10 men when they were at 2-1 down played its part. But then they were spineless, was that United team. The only... I think the only player that could walk out of there with his head held high was probably David De Gea. And for those fans that again are on Twitter calling for Dean Henderson, what a load of nonsense on that front. I'm not going to go there. We've done that before. Man United, though, given what... Well, they got what they exactly deserved. They were, they were spineless, as I've said. They had nothing about them last night. Organisationally, again, their discipline or their ill-discipline came to the fore. Paul Pogba, wretched. Eric Bailly and Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw will throw him in there. The one I felt sorry for was Aaron Wan-Bissaka because he just looked lost. He looked a lost boy to me watching Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And then you come to the Liverpool game, Rob, and that was just, that did beggar belief watching that because every time Aston Villa attacked, they looked as if they were going to score. I mean, they scored seven, Rob. They could have scored ten. The, the, the thing the for, for me is both games resembled training games. They're not the, the only crazy games we've seen since the no. world re-emerged from the, the lockdown period. You look at Bayern Munich beating Barcelona. They put eight, eight goals past Barcelona. We are seeing this is not just a freak occurrence. This is now starting to become more commonplace, mm. whereby games involving... Leicester, five at you know, City. Five at City for Leicester. Everton winning 5-2 just a couple of weeks ago as well. The, 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 the scorelines, these freakish scorelines are coming thick and fast. Now, a lot of people are saying that this is down to the absence of a crowd, that this is down to defenders, even if they take their minds off the game just for that split second. If their level drops by a couple of percent, the goals go up exponentially because they've got to be absolutely on it from the second that that first whistle goes until the end of the game to ensure that, that they're, you know, they're protecting their goal. But football no longer watching the game. And I, I sort of said to you, it was, it's, like, it's like eating a giant tub of ice cream now in one sitting. It, it's, you can have too much of a good thing. And I don't actually like it. I don't actually like these seven twos and six ones, not coming like buses. Occasionally, every now and again, it, it, it makes for a great talking point. But Liverpool losing 7-2 to Aston Villa. What is going on here? It, well, it, it was shambolic. Like It, it just look, it looked like a kickabout in a park. It, it did, but again, I've got to be very careful not to take any, anything away from Aston Villa here. Everything they touched last night absolutely turned to gold. But are you it telling me they'd goals. have won 7-2 in a normal environment? I say that I say no way. No, it would be the the logical answer, but of course we would never know. Liverpool last night were poor. 
Uh, and you know Trent Alexander-Arnold who I've come on the show and I'm such a fan of him last night and Joe Gomez and even Virgil van Dijk that certainly I think the Ollie Watkins goal the one the second of his uh, goals into the top corner it may well have been his first in actual fact you watch him there no, there's no real desire to go out and close the angle. He's a bit, he's a bit pedestrian. He's a bit lacklustre. Is what he is. Defensively, Liverpool were at six and seven. They were a shambles, a shambolic performance. When you've got Adrian in goals as well, last night he showed me for what he is, and that is a backup. Premier League goalkeeper he is not Alison Becker and he was missed last night I'm not for one second saying if he was there Aston Villa wouldn't have won last night they exposed Liverpool uh, and we've often said this you know football is citrical you, you've got to evolve and the signing of Thiago Alcantara will help Liverpool do that but there is no doubt we saw Leeds get at Liverpool's back line Leeds did very well. We saw Arsenal, OK, were beaten. Alexander Lacazette had a real good opportunity. They got through the Liverpool back line. This is a Liverpool back line that was being hailed, the back five, as one of the best in Premier League history. All of a sudden, teams are now finding ways to get at them. They're not being as protected, perhaps, as they once were. And in the case of Trent Alexander-Arnold last night, he was getting exploited. Not the first time this season, Rob. I watched him for England and Iceland. Uh, sorry, the game against Denmark, the second match of the international break and he was poor that night his distribution was awful and defensively question marks were being asked of him it was a horrible night at the office for Liverpool is it a blip on the road I think it is I think maybe teams are starting to work them out a little bit and it's up to Jurgen to maybe just tweak how his side kind of approach matches for Man United though that is statement of where they are. It's not a blip in the road Rob. It is once again another exclamation mark to say that this club is going down the wrong road whether that's with the owners, the CEO or the football manager and with some of those spineless individuals on the football field as well. Not fit to wear the shirt of Man United. Yeah I mean it's, it's, there's, there's two conversations going on simultaneously here because there's, there's the two results last night and what that means for each club and when I'm talking about each club I'm talking about Liverpool and Manchester United. Manchester United indicative of a much deeper malaise. Liverpool, well, is it a blip? 7-2 feels That's like more than a blip. blip. It's a heck of a blip if it is a blip. And then there's this wider kind of context whereby, you know, things have just ceased to make sense. And when they don't make any sense, you lose that whole, that delicate balance of things. No, things well, have been telling us, when I say that, I mean like, you know, we're all for, we, know, we love unpredictability in sport. That's one of the best things about it, the fact that a favourite can lose, that, that some, there can be a turn-up for the books, that, are, that, an under, that, that, that an underdog can come in and actually create a result. But that didn't feel like an underdog coming in and pulling off a result. That felt like chaos. And, and it, it felt like we were watching something that had no, that had simply just spilled out of its boundaries. And there was just, it didn't make any sense anymore. And for me, that's actually dangerous because when you couple that with this, this pedantic insistence on referring everything to a video referee, this awarding of penalties, a lot of people are saying they like this new world of football. I think this is something out of a George Orwell novel for me. This is this is weird. It is weird, and I'm not liking it. No, I, no. I prefer, you know, I, I love it. I, I lo no, I, I kind of do, but I, you know, you, you, we love we love a three-two or a three-three or, or a great Champions League night. But what you love about football is those fine margins, those builders, those building up moments of pressure where you can see a game begin to move, the momentum begin to ebb. That was just carnage. That was chaos. It was chaos. There's two things there. I think we're. 
both in agreement, VAR and, and certainly the handball rule and the way that it's being applied and, and just the, the penalties galore. That is one thing that I take umbrage with. That being said, Rob, I'm not going to sit here and say I hate Everton Football Club being at the top of the Premier League table with four wins from four. I'm going to sit here and say I hate the idea that Aston Villa, who were in a relegation battle last season, are three wins from three. That unpredictability, that is, for me, one of the good things that has come out of this. But Everton could just as easily lose the next four games. They could. But isn't it refreshing to see? Oh no, no, that's great. Man City losing, Man United losing, Liverpool losing. You know, and Arsenal Everton losing, Chelsea and the way losing. they've done their business with Carlo Ancelotti coming in, just getting them into order. We, t- we talked about it last night, identifying the individuals that they wanted to bring in, doing their business in the early part of the window, such as it was, because it wasn't much of it. And Mohammed's making the point there was no pre-season. The lack of a crowd is obviously affecting things. We all t- we take all those points on board, but Everton with their game plan have actually they've delivered and they are the success story obviously it goes without saying they've won all four games but you know you look at just the sheer chaos going on around you in the Premier League City losing 5-2 to Leicester it just at what at some point you can have too much of a good thing and right I know now, that that's a very conservative statement and I get that I don't want to be fact, a spoil sport no given the fact there are no fans Rob in the stadiums and we would all agree there's no one out there let us know if you are perhaps one of these I don't think there's anyone out there that would say that this is good we want fans in the stadiums okay everyone to their man and their dog would say fans need to be back in those stadiums they are the lifeblood of any sport that being said this kind of uh, reaction to them not being here I've got, I for one I'm loving it the unpredictability, the goals that are flying in I take the point they are resembling basketball matches there's no real ebb and flow it's mental. It's our new norm. But give me goals. Give me teams losing by big margins. Give me unpredictability. Give me Everton you, and you Aston also, Villa. You're extolling the virtues of a nil-nil. Well, I to me. But, but I, can, I can get the beauty in that as well. But for now, Rob, this is just the new norm. Get on board with it. Enjoy it for what it is. VAR, we know, is a nonsense. Last night, the last couple of nights, I mean, VAR, the penalty, and the red card for Eric Lamella was a farce. But that aside, All right. it was just... It was unadulterated footballing madness is okay. what it was. Let's let okay, that's the overview. That's the big picture, maybe. Let's go, let's let's zoom in on some of the, the particulars here. Quick question for you. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, did his position change in any way, shape, or form yesterday? No. Was more pressure heaped on him? Have they oh, just Of course, but no. He's still he's gonna be Man United boss for a while yet. After the international break, they go to Newcastle. If they start losing games, the pressure will mount, but yeah, all these Ollie's at Ed's last throw of the dice. Ollie stays. She never got the job in the first place, but yeah. You stays. think their fates are intertwined? You think that if Ollie goes Ed by definition? I mean, he's tried everything else. He's went for the chosen one and David Moyes. He's went for the special one, the special one, or the the kind of winner, if you will, a man who guarantees success. He's now thrown the dice at a former player. I mean, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. I've said this many times on this show. Has no right being that football manager. At that football club, because what has he achieved? He achieved nothing, nothing. And again, yesterday he looked like a lost boy. I've said it on my Twitter. I'll say it again. He is Charlie in the Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. He won the golden ticket to the factory, and he's so out of his depth. Rob, I think you would do a better job. And Alex Ferguson's Charlie's grandpa in this scenario. Yeah, I mean, a penny for his thoughts. I would love to have that man on the line right now. If you could give me one guest, give me Sir Alex, unadulterated. Give me your honest opinion because that football club. Rotten it's to the core. Rotten to the absolute core. And, and it's not just, even if you did bring in Mauricio Pochettino, that isn't necessarily solving the problems, is it? They go deeper. They go they higher. They, they go, go much higher. higher. But Poch is someone that would at least give them an identity 
and a structure and a way of playing Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is not doing they are 11 individuals they're not even fit for goodness sake Rob it's overweight boys out there and that, that ultimately they've got to take responsibility for their fitness but as a manager you've got to see that and he's not doing what, it when do you coach. admit that Harry Maguire is not the 80 million pound defender he that is you right now but then again, he's had this run-in with the law over in Mykonos during the summer. Again, Solskjaer's got to take that one. He left the captain's armband with him. His head's clearly not there. He has been rotten as Harry Maguire from day one. They conceded three against Palace. They were lucky not to concede seven against Brighton. And they've conceded six. So many football fans having their say on the carnage that we witnessed yesterday. Manchester United 1, Tottenham 6, Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. I know we've... Uh, we, we have kind of obviously centred conversation on, on United and Liverpool of course they are the headline grabbers the two most successful clubs in English football shipping six and seven respectively just a quick word on Tottenham if we can and Aston Villa yeah. because Tottenham yesterday that was a Tottenham performance very much in the old image of Jose Mourinho to a man yesterday and I said this on Twitter this morning Sergio Reguillon the left back from Real Madrid it was an ambush sensational it was an, it was an ambush but it was one that was carried out with, with real authority there was a belief coursing through that Tottenham side Kane and Son really good going forward we know that Pierre Emile Hoiberg though for me the real standout the player that didn't get a lot of plaudits or didn't get a lot of headlines when he joined from Southampton Pep Guardiola saw an awful lot in, in him when he was at Bayern Munich Southampton I always felt oof, what a, a coup that was for South, Southampton to bring him the Danish midfielder to St Mary's he was excellent yesterday he embodied everything that a Jose Mourinho team is he was really good in possession really crisp with his passing it was out of possession there was a nastiness there was an aggression about him he was good and, and Tottenham yesterday they, they turned the screw. That's what a Jose Mourinho team does. They're not home and hose. They're not cruising at 4-1 down to 10 men. They went for the juggler and they scored another and another and they actually could have scored a lot when, more. When are we going to stop, even with VAR, when are we going to stop Eric Lamella doing what he did yesterday? I yeah, mean, I've, the blatant play acting is it's just... It, 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 it's but, actually, it's an embarrassment yeah, is, is what it is. It's an, an absolute embarrassment. You he wouldn't get first, another Rob, sport. And I don't want to say that. Why is football unique in the sense that you... you, you, you I mean, it's just... It's shameful. It is. You don't see that in other sports. It's simulation of the highest level. Yeah, it is, it's pathetic is what it is. He was brushed, brushed on the side of the face, and he collapsed like he'd been felled by Anthony Joshua. Mm. No, listen, I'm with you on this. Listen, I And don't how wanna... can the VAR officials not see that plain as day? They spend enough time know. you know, going over an offside decision, replaying it back 73 times. How can they not see something as blatant as that? Pick him up off the floor. Get the referee over to have a look at it. Sense needs to prevail there. Come on, guys. A bit of argy-bargy before a corner. Lamella's gone in with the elbow. To, he, he's trying to... Lamella was the antagonist. He was. But then, of course, Martial kind of... He doesn't hit out or strike out. It isn't that. But it's the... You know, Lamella falls like a sack of potatoes and the referee buys it, Anthony Taylor. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, for me, that's just not good enough. Yeah, it changes the whole game. I mean... Well, at that point. At then, that point, probably not, but... Frankly speaking, as Lineker said, Gary Lineker on Twitter, two yellow cards move on. Yeah. Ah, oh, even the yellow cards. It's boys. Going to be main here and, and deal with this. Let's move on. Take the corner. The more it's tolerated, the more it happens. Yeah, and it just it should not be tolerated anymore. You're listening to Offscript Extra Time with Chris and Robbie. Y'all ready for this? 
Join the conversation. Dubai Eye 103.8. We're going to head back over to the UK to chat to a very good friend of ours who has his finger on the pulse when it comes to all things transfer deadline day. He certainly does. He is a man who works for Sky Sports. We know he will be probably wearing something yellow. I think that's still a tradition over at Sky Sports. Of course, UK broadcasters of the English Premier League. Sky Sports, well, it's like Christmas Day over there. It is transfer deadline day. The clubs who have not got their house in order, well, they tend to go a bit loony, a bit bananas, a bit crazy on this day as they look to usher in some new faces and get some last-minute panic buying done. One man who's probably been up since about 6am, he's uh, keeping an eye on it all, not only for Sky Sports, for us for the next 10 minutes as well. It is Anton Toulouis. And, uh, well, let's start right there. Are you wearing anything yellow, Anton, this evening? Do you know what? Just, I mean, not that you can see, just, just my pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> just, you know... Oh, what a thought. We were comparing, Anton, and I hope you're well, by the way. I hope you're... you're, uh, And thank you very much for fitting us in, because I know you're a busy man today. But we were comparing clubs that are scrambling right now to students who cram the night before an exam. They haven't really done the work that they should have done months ago. And that would certainly look like Manchester United fall into that camp as they scramble to secure various signings. Are we expecting anything seismic to happen in the next few hours. Is there going to be a shock? Have we dropped the idea that Jadon Sancho will work his way to Manchester United or might that still happen? I think the Sancho deal is very, very much off. Mm. Uh, I think if we're going to talk about Manchester United, I completely agree with you. Scrambling again for the second deadline in a row when they brought an Odin Nogalo last time very close to the deadline. This time we know Edison Cavani, Alex Tellers, both have medicals for Manchester United today. Expect those deals to be done before the deadline passes. Uh, and I'm at Troy Allray, the young, exciting winger from uh, Atalanta. They're also in talks with that. Probably, though, won't be a deal until January, simply because they probably left it too late to get medicals, work permits, all that kind of thing done. Plus the fact that, you know, he probably wouldn't be starting for Manchester United anyway. But it's it's fascinating to see, isn't it? We, we all know the criticism of Manchester United, not just in this window, but the last sort of three or four windows. Why on earth? They leave their business so late. Seems baffling. Edison Gavani, for example, is a great example. We all know he's been a free agent since June. So not only now are they signing, you know, a, a veteran player, but also it's going to take what, three, four weeks to get up to match full match fitness as well. So, you know, if they'd have just gone out and even if they signed him three or four weeks ago, it would have been a, a big, a big improvement. So not only missing their targets, the number one target, Jaden Sancho, but also not getting their targets in soon enough. Yeah, it's one man and one man needs to, and one man only really, Anton, that, that kicks the can for that, and that is Ed Woodward. It is haphazard at best. I'm sure you, and I know you've got your finger close to the pulse over there. I've heard the stories, the private stories about him. He is someone who is out of his depth when it comes to transfer negotiation. And the fact, as you've already alluded to, Edison Cavani has been a free for three months for goodness sake. This is a clear sign of working through a list. Some suggesting today as well they've had a loan bid rejected for Ishmael Saar at Watford with a, with a view to a permanent deal. This is working through a list and getting to your 89th target that an agent has phoned you up about a few days ago and said, OK, that will do. It's haphazard at best. Ishmael Assar, by the way, they can still sign. They've got two weeks to sign if they want Ishmael Assar. The deadline for uh, clubs' domestic transfers in England as long as you're not dealing with a Premier League to Premier League deal is October 16th. So technically, they could still go back in for Ishmael Assar if they wanted to. But yes, I mean, look, the, the criticisms are, are obvious and they're exceptionally apparent, aren't they? Look, 
what are your targets? We know your top target was Jaden Sancho. Okay, fine. You didn't want to, you didn't want to meet what they, what was deemed the value, but you also missed the negotiating window. The negotiating window was August first, and then it got extended to August ten. When it, when Dortmund came back and said, "That's it, no more negotiation. You either pay the full price or not at all." They meant it. And Manchester United completely underestimated. They did the same with Harry Maguire. They paid the money eventually, paid less than the money, the £85 million. But again, they took weeks and weeks and signed him in the last week of the window. Bruno Fernandes, the, you know, the reason we were told by Manchester United was be, you know, they signed him in January was because they needed to do extra scouting on him. Extra scouting on a player that was too good clearly for the league he was in isn't going to really prove that much, is it? So there are obvious flaws in the recruitment system. Obviously, many people can't quite believe they don't have a sporting director at Manchester United either. It'll be fantastic. Fascinating to see whether there is any review after this window because a lot of fans will want one. Yeah, Manchester United, they, they resemble the, the chaotic way of doing things. And you look at Everton, Anton, and what Angelotti has done, obviously making a few decisive moves earlier in this window. James Rodriguez, what an impact he's had upon, upon joining the Premier League. But the, I mean, they're not the most glamorous of signings, perhaps, but Ben Godfrey from Norwich City in a deal worth about 25 million quid. Your thoughts on that one, if we can. And Arsenal as well. I know Chris has said this could be a great signing for Arsenal from Atletico Madrid Thomas Partey tell us about him well, I'll start with Thomas Partey then. Uh, he is obviously a holder midfielder for Atletico he actually started last week in the midweek game against Huesca in a 0-0 draw and I, I've watched that game I'd probably say he was their, their best player he is an out and out holder midfielder and he's something that Arsenal fans have been screaming for for a long time the fee will be around £45 million. That's his buyout clause and that's why Atletico can't do anything about this. They don't want to sell him. But obviously if, if Arsenal basically turn up at the uh, La Liga offices and um, pay his buyout clause, then he has to go. So that's the interesting one there. Um, obviously Arsenal are trying to get players out the door to be able to fund this. It's like when Doozy looks as though he's off to Germany and they're trying to make sure um, Sead Klasenac also joins him. Now that will be an interesting one because German clubs don't want to pay his full wages on that one. So fascinating to see. It's very much a need, isn't it, that central midfield position. They missed out on Osem Awa, who's going to stay at Leon. So Thomas Partey becomes their top target. As for Benny Godfrey, I'm a huge fan of Ben Godfrey. Mm. I think you have to take last season with a pinch of salt. It was a, let's say, chaotic um, Norwich defence. He didn't have a regular centre-back partner all season. And if you look at the defensive metrics for Norwich City last season, he was top of pretty much all of them. He also had the third highest number of blocks in the Premier League last season. Only Tyron Mings and James Tarkovsky were ahead of him. And think about the figures we mentioned for those two players when they get banded around. So Ben Godfrey for £25 million. He's younger. He'd be aiming for a place at the Euros. And it's just a sign you, it's, you sign a player when you're in a position of strength. Now, you can argue they don't necessarily need a centre-back, even though they've got Mason Holgate out, out injured now. But Ben Godfrey's going to come in and back himself to, to oust either Michael Keane or Yerry Mina. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Big fan of Ben Godfrey. Everyone I talk to at Norwich Football Club say that he is a real talent and if he kicks on, loads of potential, loads of upside with Ben Godfrey. A couple of wingers as well I want to get your thoughts on as well, Anton, if I can. Theo Walcott, he's heading back, it seems, to where it all began for him at Southampton on a season-long loan. What do we know of that? And Rafinha leads his search for another creative player in the final third. It's taken him to Rennes over in France. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Leeds were looking for a number 10 throughout this, but they've settled 
Olawinga and Rafinha, it wrote the stages past its medical work permits, uh, is the only thing that seems to be standing in the way. And I don't think they're expecting much much of a problem there. So we're expecting that deal to be done before the deadline. Ren, though, he's leaving Ren, who are in the Champions League, to go and join Leeds United. That shows the pull of Leeds United at the moment. Uh, and what was the other deal you asked me about? Sorry, yeah, yeah Theo Walcott, Southampton. Oh, Theo Walcott, of course. Yes. Uh, so uh, he is currently en route uh, to the south coast to go and have his medical. Uh, now, they've agreed a loan deal, Southampton, with Everton, uh, in which you'll see no loan fee paid and Southampton paying half of his wages. So it's an interesting one there because some people will suggest that's an absolute snip. And it obviously completes uh, the circle for Theo Walcott. He started his career at Southampton uh, before moving on. Uh, and obviously going on to be that sort of teenage prodigy with England as well. Um, for me, I'm always sceptical of players going back. I always feel as though, you know, nostalgia gets in the way sometimes. And actually, if a player's available, it might be because his best years are behind him. But uh, he could be a fascinating addition to Ralph Hasselhoff's squad. Yeah, lots to keep an eye on. There's one thing for sure. Over the next couple of hours, Anton, we will let you go. And thank you so much for sparing your time to chat to us this evening. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of... The, the big sort of Christmas party that is transfer <laughs> deadline day uh, on Sky. <laughs> hey, I've, I mean, I started work at six o'clock this morning. I'll be going through until 11, 12 p.m. tonight. So it's, you're right. It, it's Christmas Day and then like Boxing Day, you just need a good lie down. Yeah, that's exactly it. Enjoy that. Listen, Anton, thanks so much. Good to speak to you guys. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.